Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's Joey here. This is our first recording for 2022. Super excited. And even more exciting is that today's episode is all about me. If you've listened to the show before, you know that I really am quite partial to talking about myself. Paul is interviewing me about my journey to Black Belt. I got it late last year, just before my birthday. It was in uh, the 22nd of November or something like that. Yeah, really cool. Uh, I hope that you enjoy the chat. It was very nice to be on the the other side of the table. He, he steered the ship today. Please enjoy. I want to ask a favor of you. I've started a new Instagram account for the Jungle Alliance, and I'd like you to go and follow it. I want to try and build a bit of momentum here. It's this new venture of ours. It's how we're helping to foster gym owners who have a vision like ours, who want to go and create a remarkable community and a gym that does its absolute best to transform these people's lives. And this is what the Jungle Alliance does is it fosters these individuals so that they have the highest chance of success and they can belong to a greater organization of other people who share the same values of them and want to see them win because at the end of the day, we're all battling against mainstream fitness, the big globo gyms. We want to take people away from that. We want to drive, it toward, uh, drive them towards more grassroots operations. So it's Jungle Alliance on Instagram. Real simple. There's no hyphens. There's no anything. It's just Jungle Alliance, all one word. Please go and follow it. Help me grow the account. You're going to see a little bit of me there. You're going to see the training ethos and you'll see the podcast moving over to that account very soon. Enjoy today's episode where I talk about my black belt journey. We are live, my brother. What's up? Chilling, man. It's Friday afternoon. It's mid-January. I can't believe it's mid-January already. And I'm taking a holiday next week. Did you just get off holiday? <laughs> yeah, but I had the Rona. <laughs> yeah. And? So it was like, you get the holidays refunded if you get the Rona. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People may not have heard. I'm going to Christmas tomorrow. <laughs> On the fucking mid-chan. Up at Central Coast, the, the Christmas we never had because of the Rona. Oh, brah. We had, uh, for folks who don't know, Paul and I had it at the same time, more or less. We caught it a couple of days before Christmas. Yeah. Is that what? Yeah, that was, yep, yeah. Yep. Took the test. I think I took the test on the 23rd mm. and then um, got the results, whatever, five, four days later or something. Yours were, were yours, did you take a long time to get your results? Yeah, yeah. I, was it three days? Yeah, something oh, like that. Too bad. Nine but out of ten listeners have got it right now. Oof. <laughs> it's fucking going through. For anyone, uh, <laughs> for anyone listening, it's like if there is anyone out there that's listening to today's episode, I know you're there. Um, this is our first episode this year. The episode that came out last week was our last episode from last year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks for being with the show. And uh, let's get it going for another year. We've actually got big plans this year. I won't talk too much about them at this point. Big plans, big guests, big intro music, big energy. Hey, do you remember uh, back in the day when it was a bit of a thing to have those little buttons that had... What was it? It was a key rings that had like a few sayings on it from Star Wars or from whatever. And you used to do them, used to ring people up and then play the little one-liner. <laughs> um, oh, I can think of what you're talking about, but no. And, I, I no, never... and they had prank apps where right. you could, you know, and you had your phone, you'd call someone and you'd hit the button and you'd have the conversation with that person, like Snoop Dogg, whatever. I just thought of Biggie, you should get a Biggie one because I got plans, <laughs> big plans. <laughs> yeah, like that. We should, they that, did, that cool. needs to come back. I, my brother had one that was given to him by, I think it was given to him by my cousin Ben. And it was, um, it was called, it was a little black box with four buttons and it was called the last word. And it was like, <laughs> fuck you. And yeah. then the other one was eat shit. Yeah. And you just press it. It was like, fuck you. 
fuck you. Yeah. But like, and I just like pump it as a kid. I'm like, this is the best. I know. But yeah, where we, are they gone? But we didn't have, well, we had home phones, but like getting it into the room where the home phone is without people finding you to do the prank calls. It was a lot. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we're back. New year. And today we are talking about something pretty cool that happened last year. Uh, Big Joey became Big Black Belt Joey. He received his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Does that make you a professor? Yeah, but a, a professor in Portuguese just means teacher. Okay. So that's the title? Yes. It's just like, you know, teacher, coach. Very cool. Yeah, but for us it's like, ooh, professor. Yes, yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. cool. Hey, look, and it's just a huge achievement. Um, we want to acknowledge that and just talk about it today. Um, not many people actually get a black belt in their lives. Um, and I think it is a mark of significance because it requires, well, depending on what you're getting a black belt in, uh, but certainly in jiu-jitsu, I think it's regarded as, you know, anyone that gets ones, well, most people that get them, it's seriously legit. Um, you go through um, lots of training, the meat grinder at many points in time, um, but it's a mark of, of consistency um, and dedication to particular art over a fairly long period of time what's the quickest kind of black belt grading out there there's there must be some quick ones oh there's stories of like stories um, bj penn who i believe got got his in two years they say okay yes but you know apparently it was when he was in the ufc and he was training full-time with a with a private jiu-jitsu coach and it was like sure multiple privates a day you know like and he's a you know a phenom Okay, he probably had some wrestling background, and I, you know, I think the, yeah, I, I think you know the the phenomenal like individuals out there who really dedicate their life to it. You maybe see that it can be done more commonly within like four to six years. Wow! But I think then the the the, the general time frame that's told to people as a bit of a minimum is ten. Ten years, yeah. And then you know what it actually plays out to for most people is like ten plus. Yep. Yep. So many things happen across 10 years in, in any person's life um, and staying consistent to any one thing. I mean, it's tough. Um, so, yeah, first of all, like huge congratulations. It's a bit of a delay since it happened. Yeah. Um, and I'm so stoked for you. But I remember at the time I was like beaming because it was a surprise to me and obviously it wasn't happening to me. But, fuck, I've been your mate for so long since I guess – did I come to comps when you were a white belt? Yeah, yeah, I remember you coming to that one. You and Tash came to the second comp that I did. Uh-huh. I remember, which is the the one that I won. Okay. Um, because I remember Tash asking me at the end, are you going to get your blue belt now? And <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. You've got to work hard to get a blue belt, Tash. Um, and then, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I think you came to a bunch, actually, over yeah, those, yeah. those early years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I've been... There. You know, there the whole time. We and competed at a comp together. You were a blue belt. I was correct. a purple belt. Yeah, correct. We went How many years ago was that? Man, that was when we just opened the gym. So we'd, we'd like, that was when we had the, the first Jungle Brothers gym down in Banks Meadow. And I guess it was, I don't know, fuck, I lose track of time. It was probably eight years ago. Yeah. I was white belt. I've never competed at blue. Oh, okay. Yes. You yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you won. Yes. You won your division and I won mine. I know. Um, I've only been in a couple of comps and, yeah, that was a really cool day for me. Fehoko was young um, and he was there. He was just running around. Um, but, yeah, it was a fucking awesome feeling. 
because I, you know, I had pretty poor mentality going into it. Like, oh, I'm just going to do what I can. So nervous. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've been, so yeah, how long has your journey been from when you started jujitsu to, when did you get it? You got it oh. in December or was it November? I should know. It was just before my birthday. It was like, um, yeah, late November. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was a, like a, the weekend before my birthday. <clears throat> 10 plus years? I should be able to tell you the date and time, just like the, the <laughs> date my son was born. But I fucked even that up the other day. <laughs> um, it's been 13, 14 years, something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah, if I, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's been, a, there's been gaps in there, but that's been the total duration of time from when I started to when I got the black belt. Um. Yeah, long fucking time. Long time. time. And many times in there, I never, I thought, ah, this is it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue on to black belt. So, well, a couple of questions. When you started, uh, was there, were you starting going, I want to get my black belt in this? Or was it, how did you start type of thing? And was it kind of like, I'll just go along. Oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, it was totally not the goal to get a black belt. Yeah. Because at that time, it was such a, like at that time, it was such a rare thing to see a black belt. Mm. Like at my, the gym that I trained at, there was, there was the, the coach who was a black belt and then he had another black belt that coached at another gym and he would come in sometimes. Mm. But the other coaches at my gym, one was, a, they were both purple belts. And they were, that was super rare. You would go to a competition and maybe you'll see a black belt match, but probably not. Mm. because there just wasn't many of them and the reality is when you get to black belt you usually you like there's less black belts out there but then the ones that are are less inclined to compete because they're usually a bit older and like they're not trying to carve that you know forge that kind of legacy anymore there is obviously a small percentage that are but so when i started i i don't know if i even looked at so for anyone that's not familiar you start as a white belt and then the first belt that you get promoted to is blue, then purple, then brown, then black. So there's five belts. First one's free. <laughs> the, the blue belt, which Paul's a blue belt, I don't know if I even thought that I wanted to achieve that when I started. Because you turn up and you're new and you see a blue belt and you're like so in awe of them. Mm. And I think I, I think I just wanted to give it a go and was having some fun. Mm. And then at some point I realized, oh, wow, I'm like, like half decent here and I might get my blue belt. But I, I always remember, like I remember vividly being at competition as a white belt, looking at blue belts and thinking, oh man, look at them. Wow, guys are blue belt. And then when I got my blue belt, I remember being at competition, looking at purple belts going, oh, he looks so tough. That purple belt, wow. So Imagine. strong. Yeah, and it just every belt, it was just, again, like the next yep. one. Yep. So I never, I never really had that long-term vision as far as I can remember. So not many black belts back then. Are you saying that there's quite a lot around now? Yeah, there is. So I, I don't know what the stats are. I, I actually Googled it because I wanted to know in what percentage of the world population I am as a black belt. But I did a search <laughs> the other day and, you know, there's hundreds, there, I don't know, there's hundreds of thousands of black belts now. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in in jiu-jitsu. In Brazilian jiu-jitsu. jiu-jitsu. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we're talking just BJJ. Um, the Back then... I believe the story was that the original two or three Brazilians who came to Australia and formed the New South Wales Jiu-Jitsu Federation or the Australian Jiu-Jitsu Federation were the first black belts to, to live in Australia. And I think that was in like 2002. 
Shit. So Not all that long ago. No, so at that point, so that's only 20 years ago. Mm. At that point, the, the guys that were running jiu-jitsu academies were the Australian pioneers. Um, John Will, um, Peter Debean, you know, there's a bunch. I'm not paying, you know, respect all of them, so I, can't, I don't know them all. But they would go to Brazil and train and get a blue belt and come back and run their academy. And they'd be like, mm. guys, here's the techniques I learned in Brazil. Mm. That was how it was going on. So it took them years because they'd have to go fly and see their coach, train, and then, you know, maybe get promoted. Mm. So they were like blue and purple belts. Um, so, yeah, if you go back to then, there was technically three black belts in Australia in like 2002. So obviously over time they've promoted their students and graded more and more Brazilians, you know, more black belts have emigrated here and all that, you know, whole thing. But so it's not, it's not a, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as rare now. However, when you turn up to training, depending on the academy you go to, you still might not see a black belt mm-hmm. you know, besides your coach or your coach might not even be one. That's the reality of it. Then you go to a highly competitive gym, you might see eight, you know. But yeah, it's still kind of a rare thing, interestingly. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, not to go too deeply into the the history of it, but it came from Brazil. In Brazil, there's black belts walking around everywhere, right? There's uh, people that train from very young. There's a lot of... Am I wrong? Is there a bunch of teenagers with black belts walking around? No, you can't, because you can't get a black belt, I think, until you're 18. Okay. So... um, and it's only, and I mean, I really could be corrected by someone, but from what I can tell, it's only now mm. that we are seeing uh, like 18-year-olds, like they literally like hit their, like it's the day of their birthday and they get the belt. Happy birthday. And it's because they've been winning world championships since they were 14, yep. 15, 16, 17. Guys like Talis and Suarez and, you know, who's in Byron Bay actually. And um, there's another kid, uh, Micah Galvão. They're just, they are like professional jiu-jitsu athletes as teenagers. Yep. But from what I understand, that's the beginning of this like childhood jiu-jitsu. Or, or at least like, you know, it's, it's gone to the absolute youngest age it can. Uh-huh. Whereas previous generations was like, maybe it was a 25-year-old that got yeah, his yeah, black yeah, belt. Yeah, and totally. then, you know, a few years before it was a 30-year-old. Absolutely. You know, so interestingly. And when you look at the stories of these kids, yeah, it's like they've been training since they were four years old. Yeah, gotcha. You know, they've been in the academy since that age. So I feel like that is the, we're at like peak or whatever that is, you know, but like in terms of speed of development, it's there now. Yeah, wow. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about like um, the kind of what I see is that like the value of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt versus many other black belts and kind of what it means and what it kind of takes to get there. Just to like, you know, shape out how, you know, how shiny this trophy is that you've achieved because, um, and look, I'm not a martial arts expert by, by far and I haven't trained across all disciplines, so I, I don't really know. Not all martial arts. You've done some shit. I've done some shit. I haven't spent like long periods of time studying, you know, any one particular art, uh, like a few different arts, like, you know, some, you know, lifelong martial artists do. Um but and not all not all styles have black belts, um, but there's a bit of a thing where, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you can get a black belt in some arts um, where you you have to show discipline, you have to show dedication, proficiency in technique. You've got to be athletic. You've got to be there in the culture, but you don't necessarily have to get put through the meat grinder. Um, 
obviously martial arts is based in some physical contact, whether it be self-defense or something more offensive. Um, but uh, you, you can go through without having to do sparring so much mm. or it, it doesn't – a lot of martial arts don't get partic- like all the way close and, and this is the great thing about jiu-jitsu to you know, actually having to apply that into a real-life situation. Jiu-jitsu is famous for um, the fact that you can – it's hand-to-hand, it's, it's grappling, you're in a situation where someone's trying to enforce their will upon you, you're trying to enforce it upon them – and you can go, because of the way that it's set up with submission um, and the understanding of, of what you're doing in the, in the training room, you can go 100%. You can try to break someone's arm. And when you tap, you literally are tapping and you're saying, you just broke my arm or you just choked me, you choked me dead. Um, and because of that, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, I feel like there is, like I regard a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, even if it's, you know, one that you don't really credit. It was really whatever, like a a really tough gym, a really tough black belt or not. That person's definitely gone through some shit and will be very capable of, you know, imposing their will upon someone or defending the, their lives um, if they had to. Um, can you just speak on that a little bit? You know what I'm talking about, yeah? Yeah, yeah there's like a stress testing kind of aspect to it yeah. that you don't get in all martial arts. Correct. Yeah, so I guess like to give... To give context, you know, about the greater martial arts thing. Yeah, most, most, uh, most martial arts do have a system of belts, which shows rank. And usually the, the top rank is black belt. But mm. it does vary from style to style. But, you know, you'll meet karate black belts and there's, you know, multiple. There's hundreds of different forms of karate. Mm. There's hundreds of different forms of kung fu. Like it, there's judo, there's aikido. Like there's just so many different martial arts. It's off the charts. Um, and for most of them, the black belt would denote uh, mastery or like expert status mm. in that art. The, what has happened over time to a lot of martial arts is that they've been commercialized to the point where <clears throat> the belts are really given as a way to retain students. So it's almost like a kind of badge system mm-hmm. to keep you in the game. And I mean, you've, we've spoken about this with your kids doing, was it Taekwondo? Yep. And, you know, it's, and the same thing happens in kids' Brazilian jiu-jitsu where it's very, um, we'll just call it jiu-jitsu from here on. It's just easier to, you know, sure. cut that word off for anyone, you know, just to give understanding. But, um, you, know, you know, for a lot of kids' martial arts, you will give a lot of belts and like little, you know, little awards between belts because you, you're trying to make a system that keeps the kids interested and motivated, right? Mm-hmm. That gets applied to many other martial arts and and what you've ended up with is a is a proportion of different styles of martial arts that are actually really watered down and they're all about just getting in clients mm. and keeping them there and having a good time and paying their money but you know they don't actually necessarily enforce a standard upon the people so you might turn up to a class like oh these are the black you know whatever these are the experts but it's like guys are you know this person's weak and out of shape and Maybe mm. they got like a really good like form that they can copy that looks impeccable. But if you put them on a, you know, if you put them into a street fight, they, mm. they've never tested their skills kind of thing. Mm. Um, so there's obviously a spectrum across martial arts. Yeah. And jujitsu sits towards the other end of the spectrum where it is constantly, as a, as a practitioner of it, you're constantly pressure testing your skills in a live training situation. 
Mm. And like you said, because it is a grappling-based art, it, it is based on submissions rather than strikes. Mm. It means that you can engage in full contact sparring on a daily basis in training. Sorry to interrupt. And I, I guess I want to say um, I'm not trying to diminish other martial arts at all because uh, it, it's just less practical with arts that are striking dominant. And that's yeah, just a... Absolutely. Yeah, like if you, if you train... Yeah, that's right. If you're training like karate and, you, you know, and you're like drilling head kicks... Or like spinning back fists at 100%, you're going to fucking break your training partner's jaw every night of the week. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's not practical, right? Mm. And that, 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 is, that is what gives, I think, jiu-jitsu a very special... It gives it a special place because you can go 100%. And it is not a street fight. It is not, you know, you're doing it on mats. Like there's so many elements of it that are not realistic. Yeah. But still at the end of the day, you're, you're grabbing someone's body and then you're trying to figure out ways to shut them down. Mm. So that has a huge carryover to yeah to the street or to life where it's like well if you can get your hands on someone, you're probably going to have a great advantage because you you've got you know hundreds of hours of practice of yep. of you know yep. wrangling bodies similar to a wrestler, you know like if if anyone follows wrestling it's like you look at these guys they just throw bodies around on the mats all the time. You put a wrestler into the UFC they're always going to be dangerous because if they get their hands on you you're getting thrown. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know to to just yeah to talk to your point there are. There are heaps of striking arts out there, more traditional martial arts, uh, like forms of karate and and judo and stuff that are fucking gangster. Like, mm. and that a black belt in that art speaks mm. to the same degree that a, of a jiu-jitsu black belt. We are like, maybe even more so, right? Like, I'm mm. not. We're not in those worlds. Mm. But you're like, wow, that person could literally kill you. <laughs> I don't know if I could kill someone. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you're like, that motherfucker knows a death touch. I think that's a great place to go because you know. We're all wondering, have you used it in a real-life situation before? Story time, guys. Right. You did tell the story on, uh, on one of the podcasts a little while back, and I had never heard that story. The one, I think you were down at Bondi. Were you in the line <laughs> to get yeah. a kebab or something? Yeah. And I saved that dude from getting bottled from behind. And he didn't he give didn't. you any love? No, he thought he saved the fucking day. I'm like, bruh. You want to just hash over that one, bro? All right, yeah. So <laughs> there's only quite a, good. there's only a couple. It's only come in handy a couple of times. Um, the that one at Bondi was we'd been out, been drinking at a pub. Pub had closed, gone to another pub, and there's this mass of people, and we've all ended up at this kind of uh, kebab shop or something on the strip down near the beach, and you know it's on a plaza, and you know it's like a little everyone's lining up to get into the counter, and it's probably about like 10 people wide and kind of like quite deep. Everyone's trying to get to this joint. So we're all just kind of standing there mingling. And there's a guy, there's two guys in front of me that are like poking, kind of poking this dude in front of them who's with his girlfriend. So they're just like saying some shit to him and talking to each other. You can see they're, they're antagonizing this guy. And the guy's kind of turning around being like, yeah, fuck you guys, like, shut up, whatever, leave me alone, you know, whatever. But he, you know, he was, he was bringing a bit of heat too. Like he wasn't, afraid of these guys mm. um and he's with his girlfriend and then these two guys are doing the thing and um one of the as i recall one of the guys the two guys in front of me they look like rough you know they look like trouble one of them disappears out of the line and then comes back moments later and he's got a bottle in his hand and i clocked that and i'm like fuck he's got a bottle and it, you know instantly i'm like this is serious 
they're still going on with this dude, still like, you know, poking him and whatever. I'm they like seem pretty verbally. inebriated. Yeah, everyone's drunk. And um, back and forth, the guy, the guy goes to lift his arm to smash the bottle over the dude's head. And, and I'm like, I've clocked it, so I'm waiting for it. He lifts his arm and I, I mean, it was like taking candy from a baby. I just threw a choke on him, like a rear naked choke instantly. It, it, it disregarded the arm, just Disre- went straight for the yeah, neck. Yeah, I just grabbed, because I got there so quickly. I was like waiting and I saw the hand flinch and I just threw my arm around him, threw him in a choke, squeezed it really tight and pulled him out of the line and dragged him back. And uh, he, colla- he collapsed and he like fell, like he went limp. Yep. And so I, I let him down, like I put him down and I let the choke go. Yep. And he kind of came to pretty quickly and he got back up and he's like, what the fuck just happened? What'd you do to me, man? What the fuck? And his friend ran out of the line at the same time. He's like, let's get the fuck out of here, man. And then they bolted off. You're kidding me. Yeah. Like young guys. Yeah. Young guys. Damn you know, like early twenties kind of thing. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they, you know, it, it had escalated to where they didn't want it to go. How about that? And I, I remember when I let him go because he'd, he'd gone out, right? Like he'd gone unconscious. So, you, so you, 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 you locked it on him and you, were, you had him in it standing, probably like dragging back, coming down to seated, maybe 10 seconds of a bit of scuffle. Was he trying he to was, like get out of it? Um, yeah, maybe. But I, I remember like he was you smaller went. than me and I squeezed it really sure. tight. Yeah. Just probably a few seconds. It just shut his lights out. Joey's had a few skewies by then yeah, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm ready. You yes. Know? I'm like, let me flex my jiu-jitsu <laughs> here in the plaza. Um, Save the day Then he popped a handstand straddle (laughs) (laughs) Junglebrothers.com See you guys at the gym Um, And the guy I remember letting him go Because I actually freaked out a little bit I'm like oh shit Like I've shut the guy's lights out I didn't want to I I wasn't trying to choke him unconscious And it happened so quickly I let it go And then he came too And I remember thinking Fucking should have held it Because now it's on Now he wants to fight And he got up And he looked at me and then he was like, and he wasn't with it. He was dizzy as fuck. And his yep. mate grabbed him and like, man, yep. let's go. And they bailed. Yeah. But yeah, so the dude that didn't get bottled because I choked old mate, he just thought that he had like talked him out of it. He didn't know he was about to get bottled. He didn't know I dragged the dude off in a and choke. And you didn't bother to tell him. And I wasn't going to be like, hey, brah, do you see what I did? <laughs> so he was just like, yeah, fuck those guys, you know, like to his girlfriend and stuff. <laughs> and oh, it, he'll never know. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, how funny. That is so funny. And he'll never listen to this episode and know because that happens he to guys every Friday and Saturday night. Exactly right. I'm getting poked in the back, antagonised. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so that yeah, that was one of the... One That's of the a really heroic story. It was cool. I was uh, very proud of myself. How far back was this and what belch were you? I don't know. I was probably a, I was probably a blue belt, maybe a purple belt or something at the time. I, I, that was sort of my peak jiu-jitsu years, blue and purple. Mm. I'd been training from, you know, 12 to... It was like I got my blue butt after a year or at the end of that first year and, you know, maybe it was another four years in between there and purple. I was competing a lot and I was training heaps and I was like mid to late 20s. So it was, it was like my peak time. I remember. Yeah. Very comp orientated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was my thing back then. Much less of an emphasis now. That's cool. Uh, the other time? The other time was on a film set. In no fucking way. Yeah. We were, I was doing that film. Um, it was a horror thriller 
on the Great Barrier Reef <coughs> that was ah, shot yeah. on, a, on an uninhabited island. And the movie was called Uninhabited. <laughs> and they took myself, I was with Jason Poole and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Juzzy Sykes. I was a swinger yep. between grip and electrics department. Yep. They took 20, 24 of us to this uninhabited island for six weeks. So we were camping, we had tents, we had like, you know, limited food supplies, we had to take our own water, we only had battery power. Uh, it was wild. Classic. You know, on, yeah, on this island in the middle of the ocean. So who did you slap on your skills? It was the director's son. No fucking way. Yeah. I had, it's coming back to me. Yeah, basic, like long story short, <laughs> the, the director had gotten his son to star in the film. His son was a pompous arrogant rich kid and what we later learned is that the father had brought him it had basically forced him into this role where um he was trying to like bring his son out of his shell somehow in actual life by making him do this Mm. our suspicion and i don't mean to talk out of turn was that the son was homosexual Mm. and that the father wanted to somehow try to change that Mm. By throwing him into this role where the film is about him and his uh, fiance okay. on this island together being in love. And then, you know, this horror shit unfolds because the island's haunted. So the film literally has three characters. Like it has the, the guy, the girl, who are madly in love. They're on uninhabited island. There's the sex scenes. You know, all the shit you do that you would do. You know, they're walking in the water, sunset walks, all that stuff. And then there's like a ghost of a young girl on the island that comes and kills him or whatever. Fucking classic. So, so this all unfolded. <coughs> so I, I don't know if that was actually the case, but all I can say was- I'll go with that. This was what we detected as a crew because the whole, the whole job was this director trying to extract a performance from his son. And oh. he had a great female cast member. She's gone on to be quite a, you know, quite a significant actor now. I've seen her in plays and she's a really you know, quality Australian um, actor. But, like, you know, I remember being on the boat, holding the reflector, being in there, and they're trying to do a scene where he comes up from behind and hugs her and have and a kiss. was and it awkward? Was he trying to get something out? It was awkward They were having fuck. shit energy. It was awkward oh, as fuck. It, like, it was like, put your arm around him. Okay, yeah, no, no, just kiss her. Not on the chair. I just want you, just kiss her like you would kiss someone you love. And, and he's like, <laughs> you know, and this guy was so wooden. And you're like, how the fuck? did we end up in on this production all the way here and you brought this guy to play the role? I was like, I could do a better job of this. Like, <laughs> fucking put me on coach. You know what I mean? I'm like, I could fucking sure you jump in. Yeah. <laughs> it actually got floated. It, it got floated as an idea. Are you kidding me? Not even a joke. It wasn't work. It was clear to everyone. Clearly that not working. working. There were, there were these breakdowns. Oh my God. Um, over the, over the weeks where the son would like blow up at his dad. Oh, I don't fucking want to be here anyway. I don't know why you put me on this and storm off set. And it was like, Oh my God, <laughs> what the fuck were you? And that was like on day five. Fucking hell. Film industry is so crazy. I had wild experiences right? like that as well, but like wild that, so that it got to this point and there's 25 of us here that we've been brought in from other parts of the country. Money spent. Critter was there. Shaky was there. Okay. When you see him, ask Pooley. him. Pooley. And it was um, wild experience. maybe potentially an extravagant way of um, getting to his son. Exactly. Trying um, to like, you know, some kind of therapy where the dad's like, I'm going to correct this homosexuality. That is so strange. That was awful. Um, but tell me, how did you end up... What did you do? Arm lock him? Well, here's the interesting story. <laughs> this is the funny bit. How do you... The kid's an Aikido expert. Oh. Right? So we had some, you know, we had some, we had Sundays off. 
because we, we, there's not much to do there, right? We had Sundays off. Saturday nights, we'd drink a bunch, hang out. Then, you know, Sundays off, everyone's kicking around, swimming, whatever. And I, I, I noticed that he, this kid was um, having a hard time. Mm. And he was, uh, he was maybe my age or a couple of years younger than me. Mm. And someone had told me, oh, you know, um, he, he does Aikido. Mm. And so I was like, oh, dude, you, you train Aikido? He's like, yeah, I do. Like, I'm a, he might have been a black belt. And uh, we had a cool chat about it. It was here in Sydney somewhere. And I was like, oh, man, I, I train jiu-jitsu. Like, maybe you want to do some training together. So we, we did a couple of sessions together, just some fitness stuff. And, and you know, again, I, I couldn't crack the nut. The kid wouldn't open up to me. It was all mm. very kind of, you know, guarded and whatever. But, you know, he was amicable enough. Tensions grew over the weeks and a great, uh, a great sort of piece of tension grew, uh, grew to exist between this actor and the the assistant director the first ad who was that matt enfield oh my god yeah i know matt and uh, and yeah. i can't you know, i really liked matt nice guy. Guy. And, um tensions grew and in the last couple of days of shooting they blew up at each they sometime they, they blew up at each other it came to this uh this rap party and the rap party was awesome we're on a fucking island rap party for folks who haven't been to one it's when you've wrapped the show, like the film's over, mm. and you have this big party. It's a big celebration. And everyone cheats on their partners. That's right. And it's the rap party, so <laughs> do whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Like, it's, it's absurd. And people are so strung out after a film, right? Yeah, like that, totally. The rap party, you got drugs and alcohol involved. It just, mm. shit gets awkward real quick. But it, it's the, you know, it's, the, it's such a relief because those, you know, we've spoken about it. Those <laughs> projects in the industry are just so long and so arduous. Mm. And this one was particularly unique. It was only six weeks, but it was, you know, we were there full time on this thing. So we had this, we had a film awards night. So everyone had to, it was a black tie event. So everyone had to create an outfit based on, you know, I painted shit on myself. We had, you know, leaves and it was, it was wild. It had turned into, you know, Lord of the Flies by then. (laughs) Um, But it was really great. We had this event and everyone was super hammered. And the, the kid was in his tent he's i'm not coming to the fucking rap party and he stayed in his tent which was not that far away and at a point he could hear all of us celebrating and he he stormed over and started ripping into the first ad he stormed over every day you fucking and and got stuck into him and so i yeah and so i just i just tripped him and put him on his back because he was because he was getting aggressive yep and i could see you know matt Matt was defending himself yeah like like it it was about to turn physical not from matt's end but just from his end yeah so i threw him and pinned him on the ground and um and i was just i just pinned him by the neck and i think i had my knee i was kneeling on him yep and you know again it was like i came in from the side it was no defense it was you know (laughs) i I can't you know claim to you know did anyone could have done it and i just held him there and he was just going off and he was saying I'm, I'm pinning him to the ground and everyone's like, mate, calm down, calm down. You just need to calm down. Oh like to God. him. And he's like, oh, you're the, you're that wrestler. Get off me, wrestler. Get off me, wrestler. <laughs> and, that, and that was my last, that was like the, the second last night. So it was a, it was a trip. It was a, it was a foot trip. Yeah, some kind Displaced of. Placed tr- the shoulders a little. Yeah, I think I grabbed him by the throat actually, which is not a, you know, you don't really the grab by the throat thing. and throw with it. Uh, but it was just, you know, again. And then you controlled him, but it, it wasn't like you had to, break out some purple belt level technique nah. in order to do so. Nah. But, you know, martial arts gives you the confidence to be able to inject yourself somewhere, I suppose. But it's not obviously designed. You often have, uh, they say, the martial artists um, or people who train tend to not fight more, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's right. Mm. Yeah, you probably, you, you probably have somewhat more of an understanding of what it's actually like mm. and you realise the inherent risks and maybe there's a confidence with, 
doing it more often in a training environment. And mm. so you can somehow, maybe you exude that. I mean, That's cauliflower ears help with it a little bit. People see cauliflower <laughs> ears and they're like, oh, nah. maybe this person's done a bit. Yeah, maybe it's not worth it kind of thing. Yeah. I know bouncers always pick up on the cauliflower ears. Yes. You know, because see their eyes dart. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes they'll comment and they're like, oh, look out. This guy's got cauliflower ears. Look out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, yeah. that's a cue for them. Yes. They're looking for cues of totally. danger and risk and they're totally. like, okay. Sure, they teach that down at security school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it's a thing because there's so many actual, I mean, whether you're a black belt or not, lots of people know how to grapple. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's it's really effective in those street situations and, you know, in those situations outside of clubs and whatnot. It's a thing. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. That is a hilarious story. For for folks who want to watch the film, I believe oh, here we go. it was on sale at Big W for like 99 cents, the DVD. No way. Yeah, it was a fucking shocker of a film. What did you say it was called? Uninhabited. All right, kids, go out there. Go get it. It's going to become a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Good thing is the credit roll only goes for one minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, one of the few films I got a credit for. Okay. Maybe. Yes. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I Did you actually th- watch it? I, I no. <laughs> no. We didn't even go to that. I think there was a premiere and I was like, oh, you, you wow. go to the premiere? I was like, no, I'm not going to the premiere. That's so funny. The film's going to suck. Um, so with the black belt, I wanted to ask, and I guess I, I, we had this conversation before, but um, got the black belt. It is a couple of months since you got it month and a half how did it make you feel like was it given that you'd been on the journey for so long um what did it feel like when you got it and then like how how does that affect you now is it like uh, to some extent like you started you you weren't going for a black belt you were just in it and you were loving it learning and then i'd i'm I'm assuming that when you get closer to the end and you, you start progressing you're looking ahead at the next belt certainly when you're at brown um, it's a significant marker. You're there, you're a professor, and you're like, I want to get that. And I saw you here. You were chasing it somewhat. Last year, I was really didn't speak about it, but I was fully aware that you were you were back on that trail and you it looked like you were just training consistently and, and that's kind of what you needed to do to get there because, mm. you know, you've had some setbacks with injuries. Um, we've been busy with the business, et cetera, um, and schools changing and stuff like that um so yeah how did it feel to receive it and what does it kind of mean to you now it was it was strangely um quite i I was in quite i felt quite somber when i received it i thought that i would be like quite excited Mm. you know because it's like it's it's it indicates some kind of end of a journey Mm. you know there's a new journey that begins but it's like this this validation of all of this time and you know and you've thought and i had thought about it for a long time you know, my, my, my coach, Adam Childs, who's been on the show a couple of times. Shouts. Shouts. He runs the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. If you haven't checked that out, go and have a listen. Um, Love ads. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing coach. That's a great show, by the way. Um, but he, you know, he was very vocal about it. I came, I started training with him at Brown Belt. So obviously it was on the cards. Mm. And I was his only, you know, in the you know, I was one of, I was his most advanced student. Mm. So, you know, for him, it was like, I'm going to give you a black belt someday. Um, you know, he, you know, and he would tell me, these are my expectations and I would like to see this from you. And, that, and I was like, wow, because prior to that, my coaches had never spoken about belts. It was, it's an unspoken thing, mm. which is kind of part of the jiu-jitsu culture where it's like never ask about the belt. But it's really cool when you can talk about it because it just, 
it helps you manage your expectations mm. rather than just kind of turning up every time at training being like maybe today maybe today you actually know like all right coach wants me to you know train this many times they want to see me correct these areas of my game they want me to compete or whatever mm. so anyway i'd thought about it a lot and visualized it and gotten very excited you know when you think about something you, and you get really excited about it and i'm like oh man i'm gonna be psyched like can't wait and then the day was coming where Ads is like, hey, we're having a bit of a get-together at the gym. There's an open mat. And we want to make sure you're going to be there. You can be there. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. And then a couple of days later, he's like, you're coming on Saturday, right? Like, and it was the double confirmation that gave it away. And I'm like, I, I think I'm going to get my black belt. So I was kind of expecting it. And even when I said goodbye to Misa, I could tell the way she kissed me. I was like, she knows I'm getting my black belt today. <laughs> How's yeah. that? Like, yeah. a, you know, I could. She was like, she was kind of bursting with pride when she said goodbye. Yeah, she could, she can't do the poker face thing. No, no way. Um, so so I knew it was coming, and even when I'm sitting there and he's grading the other students, he's give, he gave out a few blue belts and stuff, and a bunch of stripes and whatever, and then he started talking about his black belt, and I'm like, oh, it's coming. I got, and I I've been processing this since, but I I kind of dipped into like like low energy i was like oh wow like almost a little bit overwhelmed mm. and then he's like you know today joe's getting his black belt and everyone like, lost it you know because all the guys it's so exciting mm. i've never seen someone receive their black belt wow okay. i've never actually been in, in a, like, a black belt ceremony yeah in all yeah. that time um so it's it's a rare thing it's the first time that, that all of these guys would have seen it maybe yep. a couple of them had seen it before yeah you know someone that that you train with that you compete with is now you know a master or whatever so they're losing it and i, I walk up and you know he's like t he takes up my belt and he's tying it around me and i'm like man this is wild and i i just remember feeling like like almost uh like a heaviness and then he's like man say some words and i and i didn't bring i didn't feel and i didn't express the excitement that i thought i would yeah which was yeah interesting it was it was very surprising to me especially for you because i am kind of you're a very good talker you're yeah. very self-aware um and you're very good under pressure um which i you know i I'm, guess i'm not completely surprised because it's it's a, a significant thing to happen to you that doesn't happen every day and to have a reaction that you weren't expecting like you haven't trained for that you've been under pressure before but not like this it was on yeah. the spot. I think it was... Because um, Misa walked in. Yeah, she, she? She came in like, before we sat down for the gradings, she turned up with Hattie <laughs> and Leo. And I was like, hey, babe. She's like, oh, we were just uh, on my way to see my parents and I thought we'd stop by and say hi. So funny. You know, her parents yeah. live in the east. So I was like, yeah, good one. Yeah. And then, you know, then I, I definitely knew. But yeah. um, the... <laughs> I think part of it was, was, yeah, you never know how you're gonna, how, you're gonna, how it's going to feel. Part of it was that this whole time through through my my journey as a you know a jiu-jitsu practitioner, I had always anticipated that by the time I made it to black belt, I would feel like an expert. I would feel I had mastered jujitsu. Mm. And I, I think anyone I think anyone like whoever's listening, if you can apply that this like think about it in terms of something that you're chasing. Maybe if you if you do weightlifting and you look at um, you look at uh, an Olympic caliber weightlifter, mm. and you're like, "Man, that person just knows it all. They like they must wake up and they are just 
Mm. Like I am the best weightlifter in the world. I'm an expert. Or you look at someone, you know, you look at someone who's doing handstands and you're like, and they're doing one arm handstands and you're like, I can't even imagine how confident I would feel in my abilities when I could do a one arm handstand. Mm. I felt that way about the black belt. I'm like, the game evolves. There's always more to learn, but I'm like, I'm going to know the game inside out. Like I will be so proficient, you know? Mm. And when you get to that place, you realize there's so much I don't know. Mm. There are so many gaps in my game that I, I didn't think it was going to be like this. Mm. You don't feel like the expert. And it, 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 you know, there's a name for it. I think it is the, the, the Krug's Dunning effect or whatever. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, you know, the, the deeper you get, it, the more you become an expert, the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas when you're earlier on in the journey, there's, you think you know it all because you yep. don't actually know anything. Mm. Um, so, uh, so it was really fascinating. I think that was really the, the main thing for me that I'm like almost a sense of not worthy, mm, you know? Mm, totally. And then, and then over the weeks, you know, it's been reinforced to me that I am worthy. You know, you train and then you, you train with another black belt and then, you, you know, tap them out a couple of times or, mm. you know, they can't get you or, you know, and you're like, okay, that, yeah, no, I, I'm of this level. I know this shit. Mm. I'm really fucking good. Mm. You know, I've got heaps of, go- like I've got heaps of gaps. Yes. And yeah. the, the, the funny thing is, is that a white belt can still give me a hard time on the right day. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. A blue belt can, you can catch me out if I'm not concentrating. Yes. And I think... In jiu-jitsu, you think, when I'm a black belt, I will be untouchable unless I'm fighting another black belt. No, you're always touchable. Yes. You know? So, you know, alongside that feeling is also this weight that's like, and JT talks about this quite well, but it's almost like a a responsibility that you have to show up. Because when you show up to train, you are a black belt now. People are going to come at you, you know, to show that they can catch a black belt and you have to be able to uphold your standard fuck you know yeah um whether you choose to or not whatever tap me out white belt like who gives a shit i still mm. you know but do, do you like that pressure do you like that feeling oh, look it keeps me accountable yeah and and i will say that since getting it i instantly re-engaged with the learning process of jiu-jitsu so cool for the first time ever i started thinking more about jiu-jitsu outside of training watching tutorials strategizing my approach to training over the next couple of months, which I'd never done before. I was like, I got to clean up some holes in my game. Okay, what are the holes? All right, this is the one we're working on for the next month. And so the, that was really beneficial. And I noticed, fuck, shit changed. Like I've, I've started like, you know, grappling really well again. Mm. I say, you know, I haven't trained for the last couple of weeks. I've taken a bit of a break because of the COVID piece at the moment. Mm. Um, Isn't that incredible though that, um, you know, Get your black belt and now you're a keen student. Mm. You know, you, you. it's almost like, you I'm know. A better we, white belt than I was at white belt. Yeah. But um, I guess that's a, a cool thing about jiu-jitsu and just how that whole setup is, is that uh, because you're accessible, you're not like uh, like you're the boss of the company and then no one has to deal with you. Like you're, you still have to roll with everyone. You still have to, yeah, hold that standard. And now because you have that, mantle you feel energized by it um i i tend to think that uh, i i would like that i would like you know i like the target type thing because it does that for me and i we know as coaches and stuff that um yeah holding responsibility you end up developing a lot quicker and stuff like that which i think would be really cool you know when you become a purple belt 
um, and having those people under you chasing you and brown. But I think that black would just be a different type of mental pressure just because it's fucking, you know, it's so revered. It's the black. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. It's a, It's funny, like, I, I, I think about how I've engaged when I've been, at, you know, when I was at, at the other belts. When I would train with a black belt, mm. I would often almost be a bit kind of... Um, you wouldn't go too hard? Stra- yeah, I'd go kind of light because I'm like, oh, I don't want to do something stupid. Or, or offend them. And yeah. And... Uh, and I and I got to keep that in mind because I'm sure some people will do that with me. Yeah, and it's Im- <clears> like you know they absolutely should not, right? They should like fucking show me your jujitsu kind of thing, like mm-hmm. put it on me because mm. that's what keeps me sharp. Yes, yep, yep. Um, it, y- yeah, yeah, like we we had a uh, it was actually very cool. There was a there's another Alliance Academy, so Alliance is Adam's gym where I train at. It's in Rose Bay. Fuck! It, I wish lived I lived. Close to that academy, I'd definitely train there. That's cool, man. If you're over that side, come by. Um, but there's another Alliance Academy in Collaroy. Collaroy? No, not Collaroy. Um, just before Manly, whatever that. What's it called before Manly? Before you go down to the beach, when you come Fuck up off the Spit Bridge. Uh, anyway. Fuck knows. Near the Spit Bridge. Near the Spit Bridge. Um, and that's Fab's gym. And Fab had a grading at the end of the year. At uh, the end of last year, mm. and he he just got back from America, and he had asked if we if I would come, and Adam would come, and whoever else wants to come. Mm. So Adam and I turned up, and it was very cool because he had another black belt who trains with him, and then you know I turned up late because I couldn't find the joint, but he had all his students there. But I was part of the, like I stood at the front, like I came and presented with Fab. I just stood there, but his students would come out, they'd get their belt or their stripe, and then they would, you know shake you know bow to fab and then they would come and bow to us and mm. so i was like oh this is cool like you get to you get to fulfill this role ceremonially mm. and then we rolled and there was a bunch of students got a bunch of brown belts bunch of purple belts and you know adam was there and he's rolling and i know that adam's like looking like you know like hey how are you going with these guys kind of thing mm. and i could feel it's like this is a time when I have to sh- like show the standard mm. because I these guys have just learned that I'm his freshest black belt. So he wants me to, you know, hold that line. That's so cool. Yeah, and I'm like, that was that was really fun, like that little bit of pressure and that sort of responsibility. How'd you go? Yeah, good. Awesome. Good, yeah. Um, you never roll and tell, but I did fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've heard you and um, JT rolling and telling. <laughs> I love it when you guys go at it. <laughs> like when we roll, oh, like when we're like when you're just joking about, oh, I got you on that. No, 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 mate. I had <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. No. yeah, yeah. Or so he, funny. you know, photographic memory. He records every position and situation. He's crazy. He's obsessive. He is obsessive. And so is Adam in a way. And I'm, yep. I'm less so. Yep. I'm competitive mm. and I'm, I'll bring it. But I, at the end, I don't remember. I don't care. Mm-mm. You know, kind of thing. Um, I was going to talk about some other stuff, but actually, I just want to go back. Um, into the martial arts history of Joe, because you reminded me just talking about the ceremonial aspect of it, and and these days in an age where everything's very accessible to us, and we've if we're not doing something, we've seen it online, kind of dilutes the 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 um um just kind of the the respect with with certain cultures and stuff because everyone kind of oh yeah I heard of that thing before, but you know we came from an age where you know part of martial arts because some people go in and, and they do jujitsu and um you know they're into competing 
and there's a there's a kind of a modern culture to it and i don't really know all that much about it but maybe you catch my drift whereas like martial arts when we were young um was very oriental based and there was a lot of culture and respect and it wasn't just proficiency um that was key um there was ceremony around it and it was often intertwined with uh some sort of religious base depending on where it came from and the ceremony and there's you know respect for those about now it's you know it a, a, for a big part of it's very casual mm. you know what i mean yeah um joking around and you know blah 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 um but yeah we came from that era and i guess i just want to ask you yeah, what because you did what did you do what was the first type of martial arts that you did um and did you do troy lee fight at some time or was that abe I, yeah i did that through my brother okay he would come home and teach me stuff yeah <clears throat> I did, and I don't remember in what order, but judo, some karate, some Wing Chun, some kickboxing. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that was it. And um, you, uh, you traveled to Japan once? Yeah, for jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu? Yeah. What was that like? That was wild. Yeah? Yeah, that was, I'd just gotten my blue belt and I went there for the Asian Championships. And what was that experience like? Was it that was, that was traditional there in the gyms? No, 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 their gyms are fucking loose. Really? Well, we were training in Tokyo, and the, I say loose in that they didn't, most of the classes didn't have start and end times. Well, some did, but some that I went to were just like, just roll in whenever you get here. And there were people rolling in the gym all hours of the day. You could, be tra- you could turn up at 11 p.m. and roll till one in the morning. Really? Because it's just, it's such a busy city. People are working all the time. It, it just services all, all types of folks. But and when do you know when the coaching starts? Who knows? I don't fucking know. That's I, really, I mean, really old school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, but it was more of like, yeah, because Brazilian jiu-jitsu has less of that traditional Eastern approach. Mm. And then it's, it's funny how it's fed back into places in the East, like Japan, mm. where they've really adopted it, where it's just like, it's almost just about getting in and scrapping. Right. Um, I fucking love the ceremonial aspect and, and the history of martial arts and stuff. Um, can you tell me, are there's belts beyond black? Am I right? There are, yeah. There's the red belt and the yeah. coral belt, which, do, which show how long you've had a black belt for. So when you've had a black oh. belt for 25 years, you get a red belt. And then when you've had Shit. that for 25 years, you get a coral belt, which is black and red. So they just show that you've been a, an, a master for a duration of time. Do you have to be training that whole time? No, you just have to be paying your... A fees to the <laughs> international federation yeah sure if you have yeah so i think it's like you the, the yeah you get the car you get the red belt when you've got 10 degrees i think on your black belt you get a degree every three years uh, but to officially have your degree recognized you have to pay your fee gotcha so it's a you know whatever there's plenty of black belts out there who aren't registered with the international federation because they're like fuck that what's the point yeah you sure, know sure. but yeah the cool thing is you, you do see red belts uh, who are getting progressively younger, but the coral belts that you see always have grey hair. Mm-hmm. They're often, you know, they look like they're a pensioner. That's twenty five plus years. That's fifty. That's fifty years for the coral. Yeah. So you know, so if you got your black belt at thirty, yeah, you have a coral belt at eighty. Oh, you get the red at twenty five. Yeah. Uh, at yeah, twenty five years yep. having had it. Exactly. Holy smokes! It's funny to think these guys like Michael Galval, Talas and Suarez, mm. they will have a re- they will have a red belt. You know, like, uh, I don't know. And they'll still be reasonably young. 43 years old. 
Holy crap. A couple of years, you know, older than us. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the, the, yeah, the jiu-jitsu thing and the ceremonial aspect, it's not, it has a more casual and relaxed approach. And it definitely, it, it separated somewhat from the, from the mysticism of traditional martial arts, mm. which is where a lot of the ceremony is tied up in. Mm. And, and focused more on the practicality. Mm. So, you know, if you look at the, 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 the greatest proponents of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu were, were the Gracie family. They weren't the only ones, but they were the, the most famous ones. And they had the Gracie Challenge where they would pay 100,000 reals, you know, Brazilian dollars, to any, any martial artist that could beat one of their family members in a fight. So they would go, they would have these karate guys show up, boxers, wrestlers, and they would fight them in a no-rules fight and, you know, try and win. And they usually won. So even that alone shows that it was really about developing the most effective fighting system mm -hmm. as opposed to a system of martial arts that includes, you know, more of a life philosophy, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. spiritual aspects to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 that makes you know? a lot of sense. And so then you get the gyms now where it's like, yeah, you, you can bow or not. Like, a co you know, a lot of people bow and they step on the mats. Many don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sure. coach yeah. like, yeah, do what you want, jump in, scrap, like kind of thing. Like it's it doesn't... It varies from gym to gym depending on the culture does. that the... The coach sets, the coaches set. Yeah, and I think that's why it's probably taken such taken root so fast. Because mm -hmm. it's cool, you know. You can play some hip hop music while you're rolling. Yep. You know, it's smoke a big doobie. Smoke a big doobie. Seen those? Yeah, people those love gyms. doing that. The high rollers and shit. Yeah. Jujitsu comp where everyone smokes a blunt. Smoke a blunt with your opponent before you fight, and then you fight, Fucking and then hell. the winner gets like a pound of weed. Yeah. And everyone in the room smoking, so it's like you can't see shit. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> Big haze. Yeah, it's in California, as That's you can so expect. Funny. They'll be onto mushies next, or you know, acid, acid roller. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Crazy. Everyone just melts into a big puddle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you uh, because fifteen years doing the the black belt thing, there's bound to have been multiple setbacks. I'm guessing whether they were big ones or little small ones. I wanted to ask you about what some of the biggest setbacks um, were, maybe a couple of them, um, and just some thoughts on, well, you've reached the goal. How did you get through them? Um, I know that the knee was, was, was a thing. You had a knee injury and you've been battling with that, with that for a few years, et cetera. Um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, was there, and, and during these times, was there like, a time where you were going to throw in the towel or were you on your way and you were close, but there was like self-doubt and all that sort of thing? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. The, I guess in terms of setbacks, there's probably been sort of two main periods where I've taken time away from jujitsu. Maybe, maybe three. The first was uh, talking earlier about my kind of peak jujitsu, that time that I referred to it like, you know upper blue to purple belt the first peak second one's coming first peak i i trained a lot i competed a lot and i was very i did what my coach said and my coach was like like a lot of coaches in jiu-jitsu they will squeeze as much out of you as they can because they want they want you to you know they want you to show your skills they want you to test yourself it's it's all about jiu-jitsu but i did a lot of that by putting a huge amount of pressure on myself mm. So I would turn up to training four or five nights a week, you know, while trying to hold down a job in the film industry, which is just a real fucking struggle. 
training really hard. You know, the, the, the training in the gym turned into competition for me. Um, you know, comps on the weekends. and just, I wasn't conditioning. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, right? Um, I just didn't, I wasn't in, I didn't love it. It became a pressure. And it was, you know, I remember it. I'd, I'd be like, I'd be like coming home to, you know, to Bondi, like where I lived with, with Rob and whatever. And be like, you know, every night it's like, hey, I'm meeting up with so-and-so. We're going to go to the pub, grab dinner and a, you know, a schnitzel. You want to come? And I'd be like, no, I'm going to go to training, you know? Mm, oh, mm. Come on, man. Like fucking train last night. It's like, I'm training tonight as well, you know? Mm. But, and, and, and I, I'm really grateful that I kept that discipline. But at the same time, there was that competing pull of like, man, I'm in my early 20s. I want to, like, I'm in my, you know, whatever. Like, I'm 20-something. I just want to fucking have some fun. And I felt like the, the stress of jiu-jitsu was, was just kind of, was, was at times a little bit unhealthy for me. Mm. What I need to be doing was going out and getting fucked up. Um, and were you saying that that was, it was probably a combination of pressure from the coach or like, you know, the, the, the gym itself, whether it was a, a single coach or not, yeah. um, as well as a combination of the pressure you put on yourself. Absolutely. It was, it was, both, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, co- it was a combo of all those things. Mm. And, you know, and it happens in a training situation. People would experience it here, you mm. know, where they're like, oh, I said to myself, I'm going to train three nights a week. And sometimes it, it gets hard and it becomes a, a, like that, that thing that keeps you accountable can take a step too far and become, you know, an unhealthy uh, yeah. pressure almost or a stressor. Yep. Um, but so, you know, so, so that was happening at the same time we had just opened our gym and that was just so all-encompassing at the time. I was working both ends of the day, running classes, up super early. I wasn't sleeping enough because you train jiu-jitsu at night, you're going to bed late. So you often sleep like shit when you train jiu-jitsu late, which is the, the, the lifestyle. So I wasn't enjoying training, had just opened the gym and got to this point where I'm like, I'm just going to fucking stop for a while. And I stopped. And so, uh, I don't know, it was a year and a half maybe that I didn't train and just focused on the gym. And that was really cool actually because it gave me a chance to focus on other things like, you know, movement training. Mm-hmm. I remember that time. And then I, so then I got back into it at another gym because funnily enough, my gym shut down. The gym mm-hmm. that I was at, the dojo, they closed their doors shortly after it was it was a bit of an exodus that was coming and i was just sort of at the ahead of that wave then i started training at another gym up the road big one had some good training partners would show up there for about a year and a bit to do um you know their lunchtime advanced classes but really i was just scrapping and i wasn't learning and there was no one there that was trying to coach it was just like come in and roll and, and kind of go for it. And because I didn't, I wasn't training anywhere else. I didn't really have, I wasn't in a coaching relationship with anybody. I wasn't getting much better. That coincided or that came to an end when we opened this gym. Mm. Um, because this, you know, you open a new gym, it, it then requires so much energy and attention. It was like, I'm going to put jujitsu on ice for a while. So there was another break of a year, a year and a half, something like that. Mm. Then I would eventually meet Adam and, you know, he kind of rekindled my, my spirit, the flame for it. He's like, man, I'm going to open up a gym soon. You should come train with me. And so, you know, I did that and that was awesome. And then I was on a really good path with him. And that was where I was, you know, on track. I was training a lot. I was going to compete at Brown Belt. It was like, cool, this is going to be my first Brown Belt comp. And I know that I was approaching the Black Belt. I was getting close. I think I had two or three stripes. You know, you get four stripes per belt. So you, you know that when you've, when you've got a few stripes, like I'm pretty close to the next belt. 
and I'd registered for a competition and training with him for, for the comp one night, maybe a week or two weeks out, I uh, ruptured my, my ACL, you know, so fucking major knee ligament. Mm-hmm. And so then that was like, all right, let's look at the options here. I was like, got to, got to go for surgery. Okay. This is going to be a 12 to 18 month journey. Yeah. That was 2019, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been. Mm. Yeah. November. Um, so that was a huge hurdle. I felt that. I felt that when yeah, that happened. Yeah, because you had had your, your Achilles rupture, what, like 18 months prior or two years yeah, prior? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so you had just come off, mm. come back. and So, you know, that was it was disappointing. It, it, it was a huge hurdle, I saw. Not a hurdle, but it was just a, like, a, like a massive speed bump to my momentum. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, jiu-jitsu's on ice again for a while. I got back into training six or you know maybe at, at three months some light stuff and then at six months i was kind of back in there and then i think it was around the time that covid popped up at about the 10 month or about the 12 month journey at the 12 month uh, mark i had to go in for another surgery so then that delayed it again mm. so really it was that was all a bit of a kind of mess um i came out of that i don't know it's so hard looking back but I did that comp- I trained I trained solidly and then I got back into training solidly for six months or so and then COVID hit and then the gym was shut you know oh, jiu-jitsu was off and everything was off life was off for a while mm. and then I remember we came out of COVID and it was like fucking training super hard and then Ad's like dude there's a comp coming up and I was like let's do it I'll do it and uh, he had said to me I want you to compete once before I give you a black belt I want you to compete at Brown Belt. So I was like, I'll do it. I'll do the comp. Ah. And so I did that comp. And that comp was... Just laid it out like that. Yeah, it was like February... Last year. Last year? Yeah, that's right. It was the beginning of last year. And I did that comp. And I'm really thankful I did because like a week after that comp, comps were off again because yeah. COVID sprung back up. Mm. So I was like, well, I got in. I got to do that. And so, you know, whatever. And that that kind of marked me sort of getting a bit of momentum up again. Obviously a huge break again last year. Mm-hmm. I think probably he was feeling the pressure to give me the belt because he's like, fuck, this should have happened years ago. Mm. And he's like, you know, he did the comp, but it's been like 10 months after the comp now. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's just mm-hmm. so many, and you don't know what's coming, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like it was, yeah, all very, it's been a very turbulent time for all of us. So, so yeah, that was that was how it played out. So, so I, I'm just trying to identify the setbacks. The It's clear that the, the knee... Uh, injury was a setback. Yep. And then uh, life chasing down some other big goals like uh, opening a gym was really starting other a setback. business, yeah. Um, I don't know, like it seems like less of a set, like a clear setback because it's also something that you wanted. So it was a choice kind of that you made or was it a real uh, something that you had to sacrifice at that time? No, I was, I was fine. Yeah. I was happy yep. to, yep. you know, it's just like, yeah, fuck, where, what, what's the priority right now? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So no, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't a. It wasn't an issue for me. But it's more just when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that was a setback in that journey. You know. Yeah. Took me off the path. Any great lessons overall, considering those setbacks, etc. The big one with with injury is that, like, it it's obviously very disappointing when you get when you get injured, especially when it's a a major injury that requires surgery and a long rehab and all that stuff. But if you have variety to what you're doing, it doesn't hurt that bad. Like for me to stop training jujitsu, I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to work on like, I'm going to go back to my strength training and get on the rings and 
mm-hmm. handstands and shit. I actually didn't do a lot of handstand work. I really ended up focusing a lot on knee rehab for the last couple of years. But, you know, that that's all great stuff. That's all stuff that I enjoy. And, you know, maybe the knee rehab's not super fun. But, you know, being back in the gym and, and climbing ropes and getting mm. strong and, not, and mobile and all that stuff, it's like that's – I enjoy that as well. Mm. So I, I think, and we speak about this often, but having the diversity to what you do in your training is important. Mm. Because the flip side of that is you just train jiu-jitsu because you fucking love it. And then mm. when you can't train it, mm. you fall to pieces because your outlet, your fitness solution, your community aspect, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to get it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've always been like glasses half full with that stuff because I'm like, well, cool, that's off, but this is what's on. Yeah, sure. And how great's that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've, we've, we've spoken about we often have too much on our plate in terms of training goals mm-hmm. so when it's a bit simplified it's almost kind of nice because you just oh, i'll just focus here for a bit mm. um that was a big learning the other big learning was i suppose in the more nitty-gritty of the surgery side of things is really do your research before you go and have surgery mm. because there's a huge cost to being you know cut open and operated on mm. uh, sp- specifically from a mechanical perspective explain a little bit the the sur- you know, as most people are aware, surgeons are, you know, their goal, you know, what they do is, is operate on you and repair things. So they are generally speaking biased towards, yes, let's do surgery. That's my solution. Yeah. I had confidence in my surgeon and in his relationship with my physio that they were not. That, that they were, you know, open to not doing surgery. And I discussed that with the surgeon. And he said, yeah, it's, it's an option. So I didn't feel like I was, you know, pushed into it or anything. But, and I'm a, I'm a pretty well, I'm not super diligent with researching things. I don't really care to dive super deep on whatever. I just like to get into it and get it done with anything in life. Um, but so, you know, I looked at the options and I was like, no, nah, surgery looks like a good idea. And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's a, surgery has its own drawbacks, but let's do it. Upon reflection now, I can... I think I'm like, I don't know if it was worth it. Mm. I had to have a second surgery. I had to, you know, there's been long periods of discomfort. Uh, you know, I, I essentially now, I'd, I got a knee that doesn't work properly. It's mm. stiff. Mm. I don't walk the way I used to. Mm. I can't get up and down. Like, there's a lot of limitations. Mm. Most people wouldn't notice it. Most people would look at me and think I'm back. But I, I can tell you it's based on what I was before versus where I'm at now. There's a huge gap. And so I'm like, well, how, how worth it was it? And, I, and I'm actually going to go, I got to go back and I got to get an MRI and I got to go see the surgeon again because I'm just, I'm not, I feel like maybe another surgery could help satisfy some of those. And there's lots of details inside your, your particular case here. Um, I don't know you know, what happened inside of that knee, but I guess you're, you're weighing up whether it was worth it because there was other options as well. Yeah, the thing is, like, after the injury, I had about, you know, seven days where it was a bit swollen and sore, mm. you know, because there was, you know, there's a bit of bruising and shit because the bones have kind of hit each other. And the ligament snapped, so you don't feel anything from that. Mm. There's no associated swelling. It's just no longer connected. But, the, you know, there's a bit of bone bruising and stuff, but that kind of settled. I felt great. I had full range of motion. I could kneel down. I could sit on, you know what I mean? I could sit on my yep. shins. Yep. And then you get surgery, and then you're really fucked up. I'm still swollen from a surgery that I had 18 months ago. 
You've got, you know, they've drilled holes in your bones. Yes. Sword things. Like they've, they've gone in there and caused major trauma. Mm. So that you, now you're recovering from, that tra- from the traumatic experience of surgery. Yes. Um, you know, there, you could argue there's an emotional trauma as well. I don't feel like I really carry any of that, but many do. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is, well, if I didn't have the surgery, maybe my knee wouldn't have been as, as stable. Maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been as, as good at touch footy or, you know, whatever. But I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't have had two years of like, I would have just been back in the game. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe that would have resulted in me needing to go under the knife down the track for another issue that had popped up because of, you know, sure, not sure. Having, you can't yeah. say. Yeah. So I guess I'm not, I'm not either for or against. It's such a unique thing, but I just, I, I think... Really, for folks like try to try to visualize each path and kind of how it might impact your life. Do your research and, and try and look ahead and yeah. the, the, the mid and long term kind of ramifications of the choice you're going to make. Yeah, but it's it's very hard for, for for most people. I think, especially like when I think about people who aren't trainers, who aren't really that savvy at all about their their body, because you usually end up just doing whatever they say, whatever they recommend, hey. You do. You do. Yeah, you do. And, that, and you know, one. at the end of the day, the, the, the greatest thing you can do is make sure you've got good people to advise you. Yes. You've got a great yep. physiotherapist yep. who can liaise with the surgeon and, mm-hmm. you know, and you, and you trust in the surgeon and that they can give you good advice, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I guess the other, the other takeaway is, you know, more jiu-jitsu relevant is to have a coach that, that you like, that you have a good relationship with and that you – you know, get um, you feel is invested in you and has your best interests at heart. Yeah, sure. Because for a long time, I think I trained in a situation where I didn't have that, mm. and that was probably one of the factors that pushed me away from it. It was mm. the gym opening. The gym was the the, the catalyst. Mm. But if the if jujitsu was going really well, I probably would have kept it going through that period. Sure. But it was yeah, an yeah, easy yeah, move yeah. to be like. It was actually I know in my heart that it was, it was a, a convenient excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Whereas I know Adam fucking is fully invested, you know, and I really enjoy that process with him. Yeah, man. I, I, I love seeing you guys together and, and hearing and, yeah, been witnessing, you know, your training journey with him and just a, just a good guy. He sounds like a wicked coach, you know, in ways that I think many coaches probably don't do, as you said, setting out the expectations, all that stuff. It's mad. Um, on that, like, what's your training look like now? You already spoke about how um, you're freaking lying awake at night thinking about your strategy, someone that might have rolled with you that night. Like, uh, what's, how many times a week are you going at the moment and what, what's the plan now that you've got this? Is, is there some goals there? You've got this new energy or are you just going to turn up and just do 1%? Yeah, I, probably more the latter to mm. what you just said. Mm. I, I'm not training right now, as I mentioned. I'm just, just while COVID is running rampant, I thought I'd just give it a bit of a break. Um, more so for those for some people around me that I want to just make sure I'm reducing exposure. Um, but training for me typically looks like two nights a week at Alliance and then a third session here. That's what I was. That's what I uh, was mm. was working. That was what I was doing to, at the end of last year, and it was going really well. Um, I know I'm focusing on some areas of my game that I want to fix. One of them is the knee. And, and, and I, I realized I'm not using that leg particularly well, mm. which has kind of spurred me on to investigate it further and go and speak to the surgeon again. 
but I don't I don't have any great desires to compete or to do anything special in the game. Yep. I just I really uh, I suppose I want to I want to feel like I'm worthy of the rank that I have. Sure. And I just want to I want to just give it some some time and and however long that is, whether it's 12 months or you know 3 years whatever and just be like, like almost tick that box to myself and go I'm really happy with really happy with that yeah and then you know and then who knows you know mm. i mean i'm i'm increasingly aware of the injury risk with training it and mm-hmm. you know mm. I'm a, we're approaching 40 and i'm like you know what i'm i'm happy not to be injured mm-hmm. you know so I, so then i i question my future in it mm. and i don't know i don't know what it is mm-hmm. but i'm not a i'm not diehard about it anymore i really enjoy it and i would love to be able to continue to play the game and have fun with it for many years mm-hmm. so I guess I'll just keep monitoring and sort of taking steps to to keep that. Yeah, you know. Uh, and as far as coaching goes, at the moment you're not coaching Jiu Jitsu. No. Um, is that is that somewhere on the card? I know you've done plenty of it in the past, and I actually know your future. You're quite busy here with the gym and stuff. Do you think that that's something that could develop later on? Yeah, totally. Mm. You know, I've always thought like if if we reach the levels of success we hope to with the Jungle Alliance, with the goals that we have for that, I would love to be able to come back into a coaching role. Yes. You know, I would love to be able to go and open a gym, you know, in some part of town or some part of the country that is a bit disappointed. halfway between you and me. There you go, brother. Has. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, somewhere and, and, you know, run it, you know, run it kind of lean and, and not have to extract much income from it and just enjoy passing on what I know. Yeah, um, you know, and the Jungle Alliance—it's—that's—that's that's its goal, right—is to mm. foster that. So a place where you could teach some jujitsu, could teach some calisthenics, bit of mobility, like fucking awesome. Mm. Um, you know, we're so much in the thick of it now that I don't know when that would be. But you know, I look at yeah, I look at the life of a jujitsu coach or a, or a coach, you know, here, and I'm like, that can be a fucking awesome life. Mm. Like if you if you're not relying on it solely to feed you and your family. Mm. And, you know, uh, if you can just enjoy it and it can, f- you know, it can look after itself, I mm. think mm. beautiful. So, yeah, that's totally there. That's so cool. Keep me accountable too, right? I mean, like I, I said before, like whatever, we're approaching 40. The last thing I want to be is that guy that's like 43 and being like, oh, but I'm 43 now, man. Like that's why I'm out of shape. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, you know, we think that's bullshit. Yeah. So something like jiu-jitsu does... It, 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 you can use it to to keep you accountable to holding a standard of personal uh-huh. health and yes. strength and yeah yeah you know flexibility. Um, it's got, got so many good things. On that note, yeah, I'm just I've just returned. Um, you know, I've had a I started jujitsu a long time ago. I've been terribly inconsistent over the years. Film industry had a bunch of uh, had a lot to do with that, as well as um, having children. Um, it started when I just started getting into it. Actually, jujitsu was part of the reason why I left the industry because I um, had the, the kids. I had started jujitsu, had the kids, and it was, I've told you before, I kind of realised um, how jujitsu, to get any good, I needed some consistency. And it was I already knew these sorts of things, but it just became bleedingly obvious when I was training, you know, maybe twice a day, um, four times a week sort of thing. Um, and then I'd leave on a film six months, come back, and there was people just coming 
three times a week or twice a week and they were just getting better than me and I was like this is just this happened over years it's part of the re- part of the realization um you know that I that I wanted to leave and do other things and um it didn't allow me to do that but long time you know on and off you know me um always doing this doing that I we went through COVID last year um etc was vowing to come back and I came back this this year I think for me I always um I I don't allow myself to to commit to I haven't been allowing myself to commit to it because I can't give everything to it JT's changed my mind about that he's like I don't care just come once a week Hmm. and just keep that consistent um and so that's what I'm doing um awesome yeah Wednesdays lunch times um I'm excited by it do you think about your purple belt um, so I was thinking about it and, and I do, yeah, I, I have been lately cause I've been on the gym floor and, um, watching everyone upstairs last year, all these people just walking past me, walking upstairs. I would look up all the time. It's, uh, you know, and then the boys came in, Alex and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, cool. The, the, it's been so cool. Cause you know, we, we didn't have a JITS program and now we have one yeah got legit. colored belts and there's people here and i'm like getting very excited by it um and yeah i started thinking about you know the purple i'm looking at these guys going i can mix it with them no <laughs> but but yeah th- i do think about it now and um going into it it's not necessarily the goal the goal for me is to be consistent all year because i know that's when i've had the best development it's i mean it that's what happens you turn up and you kind of compound the knowledge and you get to practice something then practice it again and you really just have to be consistent whether it's one or three times a week so that's the first goal see where i'm at by the end of the year um and whatever happens between then like by the end of the year probably i'll be thinking about the purple belt if i can do that you know i will know where i am kind of in that spectrum and then I would probably set that goal by the end of the year. If it was close or halfway or what it was, I would say that I'd set that goal from there. Yeah, right. So the idea is be connected to it all year round. Um, you know, I would, it would be awesome if one session turned into two, um, but not put too much pressure on myself. Just keep turning up, keep turning up, and, um, and, and that's it for now. Mate, that's awesome. It's so, ex- it's so cool because... I said that I'd start in 2022 um, and the gym reopened and everyone was like, where are you going? And I said, it's too busy right now. I'll start in the new year. Then that came. And actually, so we had the, the grading um, and we had the, was it the blue belts before the end of the year? Yeah. It was. Jeremy and Connor. That's right. Um, and JT's like, hey, yeah, come, you know, we want people there. Put on your, And I hadn't put on the gi for like eight months or something. So I felt like a bit of a freeloader. But I wanted to be part of it. It's fucking my gym as well. I want to be there as well for them and celebrate. And that was my first role. Fuck, I was so lifted. I was so high at the end of that night. Uh, not because I just went in and like beat a bunch of people. It was just so much fun. I had like, because it was the one hour session where the guys are rolling nonstop. Um, we were all rolling and I might have had, I don't know. It felt like I had a, a dozen rolls or something like that. Oh, wow. On the yeah. night, you know, to, to varying degrees, but fuck, it was so much fun. I was so excited. So I was keen to get back in here as soon as I could and and hit that Wednesday session. And I did that and 
yeah, it, I'm, it's I'm delighted for for the year ahead with some jiu-jitsu, bro. So I'm coming. I'm just behind you. No, you're just I'm there. Just, just yeah. right there. I think it's time. I'm. Yeah. Let me roll Joey in front of JT. <laughs> JT, what I got. <laughs> bro, I'm super excited for you too. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you you know, you'll get the purple belt if you want it. And, you know, if, yeah. if it's there, you'll get the brown and the black too. Like, you yeah. know, and, and that's a that's the coolest thing. You're like, I can do this, you know, if you want to. Mm, yeah. You know, it means, you know, obviously at our stage, your stage, it means you have to say goodbye to other things temporarily. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. and that's, you know, I think that's important takeaway for, for anyone listening. It's like... You can have a one-arm handstand as well if you really want it. You just you got to sacrifice, sacrifice a lot to get there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and for a lot of people, the sacrifices aren't worth it, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But yeah. it's just it's you know we always have to make that choice when we're chasing any lofty kind of goal, mm. whether you know you're chasing it or not. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. you know, because if you if you're showing up to jiu-jitsu regularly, you're on the path to black belt. Sure. You don't have to That's necessarily right. consciously decide you are. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, or if you're showing up to handstand class. You're at some part of the journey towards a one-arm handstand. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. Albeit very early in that journey. Yeah. You're just packing the car. Yeah, you're like <laughs> an amoeba. <within> <laughs> oh, man, that was a lot of fun. I uh, I enjoyed having the tables turned today. Yeah. Had you run on the show. How'd you, how'd you find it? Feel the it? pressure, bro? Mate. <laughs> mate, please. <laughs> no, I, you know I mean. I love to talk about myself. Yeah, <laughs> we know. I can't wait to post this episode and replay it multiple times next week. <laughs> <laughs> you just take take my channel out. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you do it. Um, no, it was cool. Good fun. Um, yeah, man. I mean, like I said, it's a bit uh, of time has passed since when you got it, but I was super stoked. Um, super stoked when you got it. I was just like, you know, so happy for you. Um, fuck, I can't help but this whole podcast. I keep thinking about telling the story and you know, it's, it was a time when, do you remember when uh, we were working on a film in New Zealand? Was it Wolverine? And we were on Queen street and we had a hotel. I'm pretty (laughs) sure. Oh, was it Melbourne? It was Melbourne. Melbourne. (laughs) Yeah. That was the, uh, what, what came before Netflix? It was, it was that army. It was a band of brothers. Band of brothers. What was it, uh, HBO? HBO, yeah. yeah. So working on that as an additional fly-in, fly-out, get a hotel. I don't know if it was the same weekend or because we flew down a number of times. There was one time we went to the festival. Yes, with with Mick Rigg. Was that the ginger head guy? Yep. That's so funny. And But there was one time where we went out. Um, maybe it was New Zealand. but No, it was Melbourne. Uh, we went okay. out drinking. Yeah, do you remember when I feel like you were a blue belt, but all you wanted to do is lay your hands on me? <laughs> yeah. All you wanted to do, you just kept on grabbing me by the tricep, coming yeah. up behind me. Just showing you what I knew. You were like, yeah, yeah, pretty much you would just had your hands all over me. I'm like, and at that stage, I didn't really know shit about it. I was like, fucking get off me. Get off me. And it was like, I just remember going down the street and I don't know if it was daylight, but the streets were empty and it was just like, you grabbing my hips, trying to kind of do a body lock and me like turning and chucking. <laughs> and it was just like that all the way down the street. <laughs> it was just like, boom, up against some glass and then boom, over here. And then a bit of walking, then ah, boom again. Yeah. But then we ended up back in the hotel room and it continued on and we put the hole in the wall. Because <laughs> yeah. you just took me out and I don't know, someone's shoulder or elbow ended up in the wall. <laughs> and it had the uh, floor to ceiling curtains. Yeah. 
we just pulled the curtain across because <laughs> yeah. it was just underneath the thing <laughs> um, and walked away from that hotel room. Production probably picked up the bill. Never heard anything of it. Nah. <laughs> but um, I thought I'd just leave the listeners with that memory. That's a good one. Of a young buck, Joe. Just, feisty. Just feisty. <laughs> just just jumping on any, everything. That was, that was a funny time. Uh, it's a nice one. Thanks. Yeah. Um, cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Guys, thank you. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. That's all right. You're going to do the wrap-up or am I? Go on. Um, Taking us this far. Hell. Yeah. Um, look, if you like the episode, um, please support the show by sharing it with a friend um, or sharing it onto your social media account. Um, that would be really uh, great for us. We'd be truly grateful. Um, if you want any help with your training, uh, you want to ask us any questions about even the Jungle Alliance, Jungle Brothers, what we do down here in Botany, please reach out. You can find us on junglebrothers.com or on Instagram at Jungle Brothers Movement. Um, and pretty much those are the channels. They're there. Come get at us. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Polly. Peace.